I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting. Today, we have more Levy in the studio. Today, Moore is currently working on a stealth mode startup and a former Ernst & Young consultant with expertise in cybersecurity, which is an area I know absolutely nothing about. And we are so excited to have her in the studio. And before we jump in with more, I just want to remind our listeners that this show is sponsored by ECA Partners a specialized project staffing and executive search firm. We do a lot of project staffing and executive search, specifically with private equity. So if you want to check that out, make sure to go to eca-partners.com. More. thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. So more before we get going, maybe just would love to just get an overview on your background and kind of what's brought you here today. Of course. So I started uh, my career like many other Israelis in the Israeli military. It's a mandatory service over there. So I've been part of one of the technological units, not 8200, like everybody in 8200, but there are other units over there. And ever since I've been in the cybersecurity industry, at this point, it's like almost 15 years. So quite a ride and I love every day. So that's really in a a heartbeat. Well, you're our first guest that has been uh, part of the Israeli military, so <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. Well, very good. So let's kind of like talk about it. So right out of, I guess, out of school, obviously you did the military in Israel, and then you went to ENY. Is that right? So let's roll back a little bit. So I finished high school. You go to the military. I've been in the military for four and a half years as an officer. Okay. That's where I learned a lot of the basics. After Ernest & Young, I never went to university or college, so just put it out there already. Went to like a big trip, Australia and New Zealand, came back to Israel, started to work for an electric vehicle startup back in the day in Israel to build their security operations center. And then after a year, that's how I got introduced to Ernest & Young from a consultant perspective. So they were consulting to us. I got introduced to the consultants. Year later, I became one of the consultants at Ernest & Young. Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) And specifically focusing on cybersecurity, correct? Yes. So specifically for that team in uh, Israel, Ernest & Young uh, have acquired a company in Israel called Hectics, which was specifying in uh, offensive security. So doing like simulated attacks, penetration testing, things like that. And when I joined, they actually started to build more of the defender side. So forensics and operational security. And I was part of that group. And in general, for Ernest & Young and other big four companies, a lot of them are offering cybersecurity consulting services, mainly under the risk and assurance categories or subdivisions, let's call them. So that's where we were located in the organizational tree back then. Okay. And then for those of us that don't know anything about cybersecurity, yeah. myself included, <laughs> tell us what this means. So, so you, you mentioned penetration testing, you mentioned offensive, like it'll be easy to pretend like I know nothing because I don't on this <laughs> particular topic. Help us a little bit. Yeah, sure. So many people, you know, reading on the newspapers about the geopolitics and how cybersecurity is impacting our life, you know, everything is connected to the internet. We're all working on our computers. We have a lot of data over there, all that stuff. Cybersecurity is a huge domain, huge market, several hundreds of billions of dollars value of a market. And there are many, many, many subcategories for that market. But if I need to you know, define it in a very simple way, it's just being on the side that 
help to protect our data, our information, and our network, both from an organizational perspective as well as like individuals. So to better define the technologies, the processes, to train the people and to actually do the activities required in order to protect people and data in the cybersecurity space. So that's like the simplification of cybersecurity, if I can. You know. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how attacks happen, because I think that's particularly interesting. And like, I would say that not everyone kind of really has a great understanding of how attacks happen and why it is cybersecurity consultants exist. Sure. So like anything else, attacks needs to happen because there's someone has a motive to do that, right? That motive could be money, financial motive, or it could be agenda-based motive. It could be geopolitical motive or, you know, activist motive or just someone that likes to break things or prove a point, right? It's also a motive for some people. So it's really on that spectrum of, you know, chains of motives. That's how attacks will happen. So, for example, there's a really huge industry of cybercrime. And that's usually what we hear about the news. I don't know if you heard about like ransomware and extortion and things like that, but there were many, many famous cyber attacks like in the past years, but definitely in the past two years, especially since COVID and everyone working from home. So for example, during COVID, there are many cybercrime campaigns associated with sending phishing emails to people regarding COVID-19, for example, if you remember during 2020, there was like this COVID map of like how many people are infected in every country. Do you remember that? Yeah. So when it was just launched, like I think the first few months of COVID, cybercrime gangs used the link to that map. So it would look like, oh, I'm clicking on that link. I'll see the map with the statistics, but actually you're falling victim to some sort of a phishing scam. And then they're asking you to submit your user and password. Behind the scenes, they're actually stealing your user and password and you're redirected to a different website. So this is a very simple type of attack, leveraging worldwide consensus and events that are happening just to be able to steal people's credentials. And I can say, how would that impact? You would say, okay, I don't have anything interesting in my email. Why am I a target? Many people have a lot of passwords stored in their browser, they have a lot of information in their email or even credit cards, you know, Apple Pay, all that stuff. So when you're giving your credentials for the email, for example, you can use the same user and password in other places. And that's how, you know, all of those fraud scams and all those things are happening. So this is just one bit when this is targeting individuals. Obviously, when it's targeting organizations and enterprises, it's even much more complex than that. That's okay. So there needs to be a motive. You just gave a great example of what you called simple attack, but I could see how that would be a well-executed attack because people are thinking that they're helping out with a cause when in fact they're walking into a trap. And you also mentioned that cyber gangs. Yes. And it's my understanding that cyber, you know, a lot of the hacks and everything like that, someone described to me as this has become a team sport as opposed to an individual one. That is true. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what was meant when that was said to me? Because I I don't really, I'm not too familiar with it. Sure. So I think when uh, people not from the industry thinking about hackers and cyber attacks, they have this image of what we see in movies, right? There's this person in a hoodie sitting in a dark room 
they're clicking, you know, a lot. There's a lot of like stuff running on their screen and right away they're in the Pentagon or whatever. But it's not the way it works, especially in cybercrime. If you know technology companies, you know that there are many, many, many people involved in developing a technology product, right? For example, there is an R&D department, there is marketing, there is sales, there is operations and so and so. For cybercrime gangs, it's not that different. In the recent years, we've actually realized that the way threat actor groups are working is very similar to the way technology companies are working. They actually have their own engineers. They have their own like release processes, like product version release processes. They have people that are scouting, you know, for their, the victims, the companies that they're going to attack or what's going to be the angle that they're going to attack through. Yeah. And that's what I think people were referring to when they were saying it's a team sport. It's not one individual clicking on many, many buttons on the keyboard. It's actually well executed. Like you said, you know, when I gave the example about the attack, it's a well executed attack. It's an operation that there are many people behind that. So yeah, it definitely looks like that. Yeah, no, and that's interesting. And it's even though they're not necessarily doing a good thing, right? No yeah. one would dispute that. A lot of these organizations are surprisingly sophisticated as well. Very sophisticated, yes, hundred percent. We've seen an increase in the sophistication of attackers and the techniques that they're using. And you know, with the technology evolving, including cloud computing. It's not only on the defender side, let's just call it, it's also on the attacker side, like all of those uh, capabilities that exist out there for, you know, like we have this big boom of like technology companies in the past two, three years because of like the digitalization and COVID and everything else. It's just the same is happening on the other side, right? So it's important to remember that. Yeah, no, it, that is very interesting. And not many people realize that. Okay, so getting back to kind of the original career discussion. Yeah. So you were doing some of this work at EY, and then you went to a company called Cyber Reason. Is that right? Right, that is correct. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what Cyber Reason is, and then about what you did. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the cybersecurity market, and when I say cybersecurity market, I'm referring to the consulting services that are consumed by organizations and the products that are being bought and acquired by organizations. That is the market. I think as of latest from Gartner, it's like a hundred billion dollars market. So it's big. And as I said, there are many, many subcategories of areas where vendors and service or consultancy shops are helping customers. Cyber Reason as a company, it was a startup company when I joined. So it was like seven years ago in Israel. What the company has developed is today we call it next generation endpoint protection. Back in the day, there wasn't even like a good definition for it. But at the end of the day, what it means is that this is a product that the company is developing and selling to enterprises across the world to be able to monitor the activity that is happening on the endpoints of the employees, like laptops and mobile devices. And based on that activity that we are monitoring, we're able to identify anomalies or behaviors that looks like malicious behaviors and through that to identify actual attacks and breaches in organizations. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. 
Wow. Okay. So then Cyber Reason was the aim to kind of like be a, you know, end-to-end solution for companies from a services and product point of view. Am I understanding that right? So initially, no, the company wanted to be strictly a product company, meaning I'm selling you a software and then you as the customer can operate that software or hire a service company to manage that software for you. As the company evolved, I was actually responsible in building the services organization in the company. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this is another angle where my you know consultancy background really helped me. Probably going to talk about it. But the company evolved and, you know, the more customers we gained and more regions that we had access to, we saw how the needs are shifting. And according to that, we kind of shift the product and our go-to-market. Ah, okay. Got it. That makes sense. And we see this happen a lot. Of course. Yeah. Like even outside of cyber, right? Where I think it's an interesting phenomenon just in general is like, you see a lot of like, everything from machine learning, artificial intelligence platforms, everything like that, where the original aim of the company is to provide a product, but for many reasons, whether it be complexity, whether it be integration, there's like a strong case for a services-led organization to either coexist or even in some cases lead. Or in other cases, because companies need services revenues to grow and to meet targets. But okay, so that's really interesting. And you kind of mentioned it yourself more in terms of kind of the experience that you brought from EY, what were some of the things I guess you saw coming from a consulting firm to a product-led cybersecurity firm? So first of all, I think that the things that I really took with me from my work at EY was being the trusted advisor to the customer. I think this is something that really uh, led me in my career, but especially after my time at EY and during the last seven years. I know that many times customers see vendors as they're trying to sell me something. And if you are a trusted advisor, especially as a consultant, you're coming as an objective person trying to find the best fit for your customer. So I really wanted to try and break that friction, even though I was coming from the vendor side, and to be able to make sure that our customers feel like we are trusted advisors for them. And this is, again, something that really leads me all across my career. So I think that would be number one. Number two, obviously, is the access to the type of customers that a company like EY has. So I got to work with some of the largest organizations in Israel and in the U.S. I got exposed to the way they're doing cybersecurity, their processes, helping them improve their processes, which technology they're using, what are their challenges, which is the perfect preparation when you're entering or shifting into a product area, because that's one of the initial things that a product company is doing, trying to understand what are the customer needs, what are the challenges, how are they operating, and where my technology can actually fit in their stack and help them. So, yeah. Excellent. And what about, okay, so you're coming from a completely services-led organization to now a product-first services, probably second organization. It wasn't even second. It was zero. No services. (laughs) That was very deterministic. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, what was that like? And like, I mean, where did you feel like you weren't as well-equipped as you could have been? So the main challenges were in understanding the operational rhythm of the organization. Okay. And the business model is completely different. When you're working for a consulting firms, it's billable, billable, billable hours, right? It's always billable hours and you have utilization and all that stuff. 
when you're working for a software company and specifically SaaS company, the business model is based on subscription. So it's not based on the individual utilization of each and every one of the employees, but at the end of the day, all of us are working as a group in order to create a product that the end customer would buy. So I would say the analogy again is probably working for a product company is really a team sport where being a consultant could be a very much an individual type of sport. Even though you're part of a department or a bigger group, there are many times as a consultant that you have the hours or the project that you're managing, you run with it end to end, and it's kind of on you. Like this account budget is on you, uh, you know, that type of thing. With a vendor company, product company, it's definitely not like that. And also the hierarchy and the functions are completely different. So engineering, operations, like all of the groups are completely different than what I was familiar with coming from a consulting firm. Very interesting. And what advice, I guess, would you give to someone, say they're coming from consulting into a product or a SaaS company? Because actually, the reason I ask it is specifically like your role, which is to kind of stand up a services organization, is not that atypical, right? So a lot of software companies realize the value of having either adding services or creating a services business. What advice would you give to someone that's maybe considering a role like that? I think that the best choice to do or the move, if you're doing a move from consulting to a product-led company, is first of all, to aim for a company that focuses or building a product in the area you are consulting in. So for example, if you're a financial advisor or if you're um, doing some strategic advisory or on the other hand, you're doing some organizational advisory, Look for companies that are building solutions in those market categories, because as an advisor, you have an amazing perspective to, at the end of the day, end up as a product manager in one of those companies, because you know a lot of customers, you know their needs, you actually built for them processes, best practices, strategy, whatnot. So this is like the best way to equip product managers eventually in those product companies And obviously, the second thing is if they're planning to build some sort of a service offering, that's definitely an added value for people coming from a consulting firm. But I think, again, those that really want to make the shift, I would say look for tech companies that are building products in those areas of expertise, because that's like the exact requirement for a product manager, the knowledge and the skills that consultants have. That's really interesting. Okay, so you've recently left Cyber Reason. Yes, that is true. And you are working on something interesting. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned the word stealth to me. I guess, can you share anything with our audience on that? Of course, of course. So uh, I recently left Cyber Reason. It's been seven years, so it's definitely a long period in my life, and it's been very transformational. I started a new job in a startup that is in a stealth mode, stealth mode, meaning that the startup has not officially launched its logo and what we're doing and all that stuff. The role that I'm doing there is VP product. As I said, I feel like I'm very well equipped to build a cybersecurity product. So yet again, of course, it's cybersecurity, focusing mainly on cybersecurity in cloud environments, which is like a huge, huge market that is just keep on growing. 
the idea is to really build something new, innovative, groundbreaking, but also that generate a lot of value to the end customer and multiple personas in organizations. And not only to aim to build a product for, you know, those large Fortune 500 enterprises, but actually to make sure we're building a solution that can help also smaller businesses. As a lot of tech companies are starting as smaller organizations, they don't really have the time or the resources to invest in security. Many of them are building their products in the cloud, but they're not really investing in security in their infrastructure. So that's kind of like the idea to try and help them in those areas. So yeah, it's really exciting. That's great. And I think that's such a, I mean, we see this in a lot of markets, advanced analytics, cybersecurity, the long tail is really kind of, I don't want to say being forgotten, but I mean, it makes sense that early on, even companies like Cyber Reason, right? You're going to go after the big Fortune 500 clients because that enterprise clients make, you know, (laughs) good revenue. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's really interesting. And then, okay, so if if you think about, I guess, that long tail of smaller companies, you've got a mix of technology companies and startups, and then you've got a lot of kind of lower middle market, middle market, boring businesses (laughs) (laughs) that do make money and make our economy run. What advice, I guess, would you have for companies like that? That maybe like the CEO of a company, like a 20 to 100 person company that doesn't know anything about cybersecurity and doesn't even really know what to do. I think the best solution for them is really to go to a service provider, to be honest. Okay. Because it's so difficult to get the people with the right expertise and the knowledge. So having a service provider to at least manage the security for you is going to be easier probably going to be cheaper for the short term. If the company is growing, definitely you need to build those capabilities in-house. But for the time being, at least have some sort of a service provider or a vendor that offers you managed services in addition to the product. Because I think you also mentioned this early on that in many cases, product companies find themselves like hitting a wall because their product is either too complex, you know, the integration level is too difficult and so on. And then they end up with building, you know, that managed part to enter some areas of the market. That's also one of the things that we are thinking about how to, from the get-go, make sure that we have this, you know, hand-in-hand support for those customers and some sort of like eyes on glass for them because they don't really have the resources. So it's definitely also something top of mind for us. That makes a lot of sense that it would be top of mind for you, especially just given that like your average business owner or CEO in the US, right, for a small and medium sized business, we don't even know what we don't know about cybersecurity, right? Exactly. Until you get hit. (laughs) Until you get hit or you're preparing for an interview with more. (laughs) And uh, you got watch as many YouTube videos as you can so that you don't sound like an idiot, (laughs) which was my approach. But um, no, that's really good advice. And what about just also if you were to also give advice to that business leader on what they should be telling their people, their employees, right? So like, for example, the only thing I know right now is like to tell people, hey, don't click on any suspicious links. That's it. That's the extent (laughs) of my knowledge. What else should I be telling my team? I think it's always like there is a sentence that we say in the industry, it's like trust but verify. You know, you can get like 
phone calls or you can get like text messages or even an email from someone that can identify as the CEO. But I think it's important for the company to reinforce like the norms, like the normal communication methods. For example, if you're a CEO of a company, you would say, if I want to have a one-on-one conversation with one of you, we're going to schedule a meeting with you, or maybe I'll call your phone or maybe not. I don't know. It depends on the culture, but I'll never, ever going to send you a text message or I'll send you an email asking you to click on something, right? So it's really kind of like to reinforce things that people will understand what are the normal patterns of communication within the company. And again, as I said, trust but verify. It's really important not to create like this sense of fear and paranoia because it's really bad. And I hate it that they're, you know, it's being used a lot in cybersecurity marketing and videos and all that. But it's important just to, you know, think twice before you know, you do some sort of an action, think twice, like, why is this prompting me to enter my user and password? Why is the CEO sending me this awkward email? You know, all of those things, it's just like, stop for a second, don't act immediately and think about it. And if you don't know, just ask the IT or someone else, right? There's no shame in asking questions. That's fine. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, because this like sort of like paranoia type of like marketing approach. Actually, I I was watching an infomercial late last night because I fell asleep to the TV and it was like something around basically some business that was set up around like the deed to people's houses. Right. And they share these like two stories of people that somehow lost the title to their house or something like that. But it's like, at the end of the day, like I view it as more as like preying upon like the ill-informed as anything else. And I have seen a bit of that in the cybersecurity space. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of that. Trust me, I have a lot of criticism on the marketing industry of the cybersecurity industry. It's like a whole uh, discussion. (laughs) A whole nother podcast, huh? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess then can you give us like the 10 second, like what to watch out for from a just pure marketing messaging? From marketing messaging, I think the scaring techniques, it's like, it's too much. There could be a lot of fluff and stories around the company and our CEOs and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, what's important if the product is working or the service is working and if you're happy and if you're able to get like a good relationship with them. So the fluff, be very careful of the fluff. I don't like when companies are dissing each other or talking uh, bad stuff about each other, because I think it's going to hurt the purpose and it's a lot of ego. So I would say just watch for that. But I think, yeah, that's kind of like the top three. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Very good. No, that's super helpful. And thanks for just the general explanation, because to me, cybersecurity is just such a, it's such a black box, like for a lot of us, right? Yeah, for many people. It's just such a mystery. All right, excellent. And then I guess lastly, more as we kind of wrap things up, would love to maybe just hear a little bit about any books or podcasts or blogs that you recommend to our listeners that are, maybe they're in consulting and have never even worked for a technology company or learned anything about cybersecurity. Any advice? Sure. So there are a few books that I'm reading or actually listening to right now, but I think the one from a professional perspective that had a lot of impact on me from a leadership perspective was No Rules Rules. It's uh, basically the story behind funding Netflix. 
okay. and the cultural environment over there and the decisions that need to be made um, since the end of like 90s until almost now, like 2016, when they got to their peak. So I highly recommend the book. Those of you that wants to understand a little bit more about technology companies, one of the largest and the fastest growing technology companies in the past few decades, plus leadership and making not necessarily uh, popular decisions. It's a really good book. Awesome. Yeah. We will add it to the list. Well, very good. And then lastly, if folks were interested in learning more about you or this stealth startup yeah. that you're working on, <laughs> is there any information that you could share or we could drop the link into the podcast description? Unfortunately, not yet, but more than welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm definitely going to publish some stuff when we'll get out of stealth. We're going to have a few teasers uh, next week. Next week, there is a huge cybersecurity conference. It's called Black Hat. It's in Vegas. As I said, the marketing industry in cybersecurity is huge. So we're going to drop some teasers next week. And afterwards, probably in the coming few months, there are going to be some more. So you can start by following me on LinkedIn and afterwards following the company. It will be awesome for us. Okay, awesome. You know, we might even publish it a little bit later. So if we do that, we can even update the description to include the relevant links below. Perfect. And then for those of you listening for the first time, thank you so much. And make sure to click subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon so that we can notify you of future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We recently launched Beyond Consulting YouTube channel where we not only share episodes like this, but we also share opportunities that our firm, ECA Partners, is working on. And lastly, if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at ECA, it's going to be eca-partners.com. And for everybody else, we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks so much.